0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa, both associated with... Element FM, that is E-L-M-N-T-F-M. You can also listen anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you can also uh, go to our website as well and uh, listen in through there. And if you've missed one of our previous interviews or you've missed part of one or you want to tell someone uh, you told someone about one that you think they would like to listen to, you can always go to our SoundCloud. We do post those up at a later date that are up there for people to go back and listen to. I'd like to welcome our first guest to the show today. It's a pleasure actually to have uh, the Ontario Regional Chief Roseanne Archibald with us because uh, I've been trying to get her on the line for some time and have her on the show. So it's a great pleasure for us to welcome her to the show today. Welcome Chief. Thank you. Um, Now of course, uh, for everyone, whether uh, you're indigenous or not, uh, right around the world, things have uh, changed at, uh, quite a bit recently with the with, with uh, COVID-19. And I know that uh, I guess it was on in, in April that you had um, issued uh, something to do with the COVID-19 declaration of state of emergency that came out on March 24th. Um, how have things changed? Since then, for you, looking at the, uh, uh, as, as you are someone that, that uh, oversees the 133 First Nations in Ontario, uh, how are things going at this point in time?
1: Well, we do have cases, first of all, in First Nations on reserve. To date, we have 44 cases, mm. and out of those, 32 people have uh, recovered, and are deemed resolved. So our recovery rate is quite close to the Ontario average, which Mm. is good news. Mm -hmm. Our death rate is, uh, we just, uh, it's kind of difficult because there's a new thing happening right now around death rates. And it is, uh, if people have the virus and then they die with the virus in their system, they're deemed to be a a COVID Mm. death. If they die from perhaps complications, uh, perhaps they have shed the virus, but they have underlying conditions that eventually do uh, take their life, then they're deemed COVID-related. And so, you know, we're not clear on the guidelines. I've asked this question for Ontario on it. But we have had three deaths related to covid and in ontario two off reserve and one on reserve on reserve our death rate is quite low it's lower than the rest of the province and so we're at about 2% and the province i believe is around 7 or 8% but then you have to take into account that the um, the majority of deaths in ontario are in long term care centers mm. So versus the population, we may be uh, on, on the same track as Ontario. But I wanted to offer you where we are situationally as First Nations in Ontario and what does it mean? It means that we have kept our rates uh, below actually the provincial average. And we've done that. I shouldn't say we. It's been First Nations who have done that. And they did that primarily by locking down their communities early. So many communities shortly after the pandemic was declared on March 11th began to lock down, began to shelter in place. And so that has made a very big difference in Ontario in relation to the number of cases. And so that quick action by leadership across Ontario has resulted in in lower cases. Now we have 133 First Nations and 10 of those First Nations have had one positive, at least one positive test in their community. So that means we have a very high rate of communities that have zero, zero cases. So that again is good news. What we have seen though, over the course of the pandemic so far is a very slow and incremental rise in the number of cases. So we haven't uh, plateaued, We've just, we would plateau for a few days then we would move up and then we would plateau for, for a few days. And currently we're in another plateau at 44 cases, so we haven't had any new cases in four days. And uh, the good news again is that what is, continues to move up is the recoveries for First Nations.
0: Well, that is all good news, um, and it's it's really nice to hear. Out of all the 133 that, as you mentioned, there's only 44 cases. I I recently spoke with the the chief of Six Nations, and uh, I know they had about 11 cases uh, at one point of the um, active cases. But I now understand they have zero as well. Of course, they had unfortunately one death in the community related to COVID 19. Uh, but the you know the other thing I guess, and it's great to hear that the communities and the First Nations took the initiative to lockdown, um, similarly to Six Nations, and um, sort I guess putting up some some uh, ways of of screening people that were going to be uh, coming through that were probably necessity uh, and and uh um, and 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 had a reason to come to their communities um, is is what they were doing there, and i 'm assuming in other communities but um I guess you know the other thing that i I found interesting um, which you know i shouldn't I should have remembered this. But the other challenge, of course, for the purpose of specifically in First Nation communities to make sure they they take the proper action to lock down and protect not only elders, but as we talk about elders and First Nation elders, many of those elders are the knowledge keepers, the language keepers. And uh, to lose these people, as we all know, uh, First Nation languages are endangered. That would be a, a double blow to the communities.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, Even uh, the highest population is over 60. That's the highest numbers in Ontario that are Mm. contracting COVID-19. And they're the most vulnerable. So you're correct that the action of First Nations is really about protecting their vulnerable and understanding the value, the great value that our elders have. If anything, this pandemic has helped us to realize that that is a real great asset in our communities, our knowledge keepers and our language speakers. So this this effort is really about protecting our most vulnerable and communities realize that and moving forward, this uh, action will continue at some level. I, I just wanted to clarify as well that not every community is in lockdown mm. Uh, what we deem as lockdown, we have uh, over 70 communities that have road closures, right. uh, 12 communities that have um, airport closures, uh, restrictions on air flights, and uh, 70 over 70 communities who are in states of emergency. So not everybody is able to lock down fully because of the circumstance in their area perhaps Mm. there's a a, a municipal road that runs through their territory there's a lot of complicated matters in different areas and it's not always possible to do a full lockdown but those communities that are not locking down do tend to have checkpoints and it really is about slowing the virus down i Mm. mean this virus only moves if we're moving And this is a key message that I have had with First Nations and our citizens is if we stop moving, then the virus will stop moving. And so First Nations have really taken this to heart in slowing down the movement in and out of their communities and in some cases just going right into lockdown.
0: Yeah, uh you know of course the other thing is that uh that First Nations many First Nations are very close to other community uh, towns and villages and cities within the province of Ontario uh just outside of their their areas where um and and in fact many uh, communities have uh, members living off-reserve, outside, uh, just in local areas. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, family relationships uh, and those kind of things that are, that are uh, still, of course, having to t- be taken into account um, for the kind of situation we're dealing with as well.
1: Yeah, and we are seeing a definite connection between cases and communities and their proximity to Uh, places where there are active cases so for example in Curve Lake they have cases they're very close to Peterborough Mm. uh, Kettle and Stony Point uh, very close to a number of centers there in northwestern or southwestern Ontario six nations right in the heart Mm -hmm. of uh, Halaman County and Brantford so proximity to areas where there are ongoing cases is certainly impacting the number of cases, uh, especially in the South and Southwest. And the other thing that we realized as well is that mining is an issue. And so a number of cases that came out of Thunder Bay came directly from the Lactazil mine, mm-hmm. which is just uh, close to Gull Bay First Nation and Whitesand First Nation, who had a total of 13 cases on reserve. Thankfully, all of those cases uh, did get resolved and all of those people did recover, but that was a source of, of um, the, the disease. And so, you know, it's about proximity to where there are active cases. And so we see in the remote north that there are zero cases in the Anishinaabegaski Nation territory. They did have one case in Iyabatung, and that was a counselor who had uh, flown in from Thunder Bay and uh, had uh, had brought the virus with him. And very fortunately, there was no spread in that community because that counselor actually lived uh, alone in his house at the time. Mm. And uh, But it could have been much worse because of the overcrowding conditions that are in many of our communities, especially the remote north.
0: Mm. All right. Please don't go away. We'll be right back here on Element FM with more right after this. I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And uh, that is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto and anywhere across the country. You can download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M. Listen on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest is Ontario Regional Chief Roseanne Archibald. And uh, it's a pleasure to have her on the show. We have been talking about uh, the COVID-19 situation uh, as it has impacted First Nations in Ontario, uh, as the chief is uh, is the representative of uh, 133 First Nations uh, as the regional chief, uh, Chief, uh, what have you been what have you been hearing from the the individual chiefs themselves in terms of uh, how their own communities have been uh, uh, supporting this?
1: well it's it lately it's been a little more difficult because people have been in lockdown or sheltered in place for well over some in some cases two months uh-huh. uh, in some cases uh, six weeks and that's a long time to ask membership uh, to to just shelter in place and not be able to go out so there are some. Always people, you know, the odd person here and there or group of people that are not necessarily listening to the health directives of their leadership, nor the health directives of the Ontario government and uh, the Canadian government. And what we're finding is that addiction is really playing a role Mm. in that Uh, people who are suffering from addictions are uh, certainly... um, higher risk as well in terms of just not following the guidelines and but for the most part I would say that the majority of people in communities are heeding the advice and following the direction of their chiefs and councils and that's why we see low numbers. One thing I want to make a note of is that This is the first wave. There Mm -hmm. could potentially be a second wave as the province begins to open up. And then there will definitely be a third wave or it could just be the second wave, which will be in the fall that will coincide with the regular flu season. And this is going to be a very difficult time on the road ahead the practices that first nations have today will help them in that regard. And we really need to prepare for that fall flu season where we may see an increase in cases Uh, In all pandemics of modern history. There has always been a second wave. So even H1N1 had a second wave that was deadlier than the first wave. Mm. Of course, H1N1, the, there weren't a lot of guidelines around, uh, how to protect yourself from H1N1, where the, whereas there are a lot of health measures people can take in relation to this pandemic for COVID-19, for the coronavirus. And so it's really important to prepare for that second wave that's coming, or that big wave that's going to come sure. in the
0: yeah, for sure. And I guess the other thing we should remember of course that uh for many First Nations communities uh diabetes it plays a, a large role and these are all things that uh, can compromise the uh the immune system uh which is uh, I guess another concern for many.
1: Yeah, that's right. Underlying conditions are the the factor that make us make create a high risk within our communities but overall first nations are high risk to begin with as a collective group so people who have these underlying conditions become extremely high risk so the actions that are being taken in communities are really to protect our extremely high risk people who with underlying conditions like diabetes cancer lung issues heart problems
0: your your own community, if I can pronounce this correctly, Tagamu Nation uh, up near near Cochrane.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. Did I get that name correct, by the way? I'm always well, it depends on dialect. Like, okay, my my mom would say we say dagadagamu which ah. means water on the hill. Mm. But when you look at the way it's written Englishly, Englishly, <laughs> <laughs> the way you, you see it written in English, it actually, you would say, take
0: Yeah. Now, well, the reason I wasn't sure is because of course on six nations, the K, it sounds like you also pronounce the K with a G sound. So that's why I was asking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And how are things in your own community then? Well, we have zero cases and the community is in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And they have a checkpoint. They are doing what every community is doing. One of the biggest issues around the pandemic has been food security.
0: Mm.
1: And so our community has set up a food bank for First Nation members to ensure that people have food uh, during the crisis. So they have that and they do regular updates. I mean, they're doing what everybody else is doing. I mm-hmm. see a lot of chiefs and councils online using social media to update their members on what is going on. I wanted to just make a comment about social media because social media is always very, a difficult, a difficult space if you're a leader and it can get very negative and, uh, there can be a lot of lateral violence on social media. But one of the things that I've seen during this pandemic is that it really has become a tool for information, a a way to share information, a way to update people on what is going on. And it's been used quite a bit across our province uh, for First Nations. And it is also one of the ways that we are keeping an eye on where the virus is moving so social media whether we love it or hate it is actually become uh, a very good tool not an excellent tool but a good tool for communication
0: Mm, that's great to hear and and it is one of the positive uh, things that uh, social media as you say can be used for um a, a chief we're yeah we have a few minutes left uh, i i just wanted to to move on to something else it's it's something i think that is near and dear to you that you you are very uh, uh strong about empowering women and and youth and and um and and seeking community-based solutions and encouraging capacity building and leadership as well
1: mm-hmm. yeah we do have a very strong youth council in Mm. Ontario. It's called the Ontario First Nation Young People's Council. Mm. And through them, their work, they are actually looking at a number of priorities across the region. And I have had the opportunity to interact with them on a number of occasions and to support them and to let them know that they're supported by my office and encouraging them to be leaders now. A lot of times we hear the term, well, you're the leaders of the future. Well, I just don't believe that. I, I know that they're the leaders now. And so we, we look forward to seeing some of the initiatives that will come out of this pandemic from the youth perspective. And we know that they are doing work and we need to lift that up, lift them up and show that work. On the issue of women women's, uh, I would say, I don't want to say empowerment because women are naturally powerful uh, I just want to say that the there is uh, one of the detrimental negative things that's happening right now is an increase in violence against women during mm. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We are seeing domestic violence rising, and that's a cause for great concern. And I know that there is a call uh, for the government to begin to implement its action plan on MMIWG, and I support that. And I also want to say that with respect to what's happening in First Nation communities during the pandemic, we have a high number of women counselors Mm -hmm. and women chiefs, and that to me is also something that is very positive in relation to the response to the pandemic because our response is based, uh, and whether you're a, a female or male chief, what I'm finding is there's a great deal of love and care. So, a deep and abiding love and care that chiefs and councils have in their response to this pandemic. Why are they locking down? Because they care about their people. They Mm. love their people. They want their people to be safe. And that grounding in the heart is traditionally known to be a, you know, a more feminine female approach, but it's really something that is uh, crossing all the boundaries in terms of how first nations are responding. But I do want to acknowledge all of the the female leadership out there who are doing the work under some of the most difficult circumstances in modern history, And that we are doing uh, great work together, all of us, male and female. And this is an opportunity to uh, showcase some of the female leaders and what they are doing in their communities. And I believe that the Ontario Native Women's Association is actually doing a social media campaign where they are highlighting what women in leadership are doing or the leadership role women are taking during the pandemic. Mm. I know they've asked me to do a a piece, but I've just been so busy Mm. in my office. I haven't been able to, but I hope to get back to that.
0: All right Well, that sounds wonderful, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show uh, to uh, bring us up to date on uh, situations in uh, in the first nation communities of Ontario uh, as the Ontario regional chief and uh, Before we go, I just want to mention a couple of things that you personally have have done uh, in your own career. I understand you were the first woman and also the youngest chief to be elected to to your own community in 1990. You then were the deputy grand chief of the uh, Anishinaabe Aski Nation and the grand chief of the Meshkegawak Council in 1994. And, you know, it's nice to see, of course, that you were there as a community member to complete the first master's degree in your community, which is always nice for other other members to see and uh, to possibly uh, follow in your footsteps as well.
1: Well, thank you for that. Um, we actually now have somebody in our community who recently finished his PhD. Nice. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a path ahead, and I've been very fortunate, as you mentioned, to be the first woman to achieve some of these things uh, but not always i can't say fortunate because the road has been very difficult mm. it's a bit like breaking uh, the trail when you're snowshoeing it's sure. very very hard work everybody behind you gets to walk on the trail but mm. <laughs> those breaking it are you know have a very hard road uh, that they they are breaking for others and i've been very grateful to be able to do that for other women
0: well, it's nice to hear you say that. Um, and we all know, I think, how difficult it is for anyone that is that is uh, paving the way for others to follow. But, you know, the other nice thing about that is eventually uh, the ones that are following will break off into their own path and start creating uh, and and start paving paths for other people to follow as well.
1: That's right. Good point, David. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, Chimi miigwech for joining us. And we thank you and we look forward to having you back on
1: again. Okay, take care. Thank All right, you. take care.
0: That is the Ontario Regional Chief, Roseanne Archibald. It was a pleasure to have her on the show, and it's been a while. We've been wanting to get her on to the show as well, so please don't go away. We will be right back here on Element FM with more right after this. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And of course, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, you can listen anywhere across the country uh, on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, All you have to do is download the app and then just type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And uh, as I say, you can listen. You can also go listen to our previously recorded. Uh, interviews that we have done. If you've missed them or if you want to catch part of one that you might have missed, uh, I want to go back and hear it again on our SoundCloud. And uh, it is a pleasure now for me to welcome our next guest to the show. He's been on before, um, and uh, it was just after, I think it was just a little while after he was elected. It's the newly elected uh, chief of the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory, Mark Hill. So it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, Mark.
2: sago David. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh-huh. Sego Mark. Now, you know, um, uh, last time we spoke, you had just, uh, I think, fairly recently been elected. It wasn't long after that you had just taken over the job. And of course, things have changed quite a bit since then. <laughs> You're uh, into... I, would,
2: I would say drastically changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd say so. Um, and of course, uh, it's changed right around the world for everyone, of course. But um, You know, one of the reasons we wanted to uh, to get you on the show is because a few things uh, that were going on in the community, um, certainly having to do with uh, you know recently with COVID nineteen. We know that uh, you know you took some steps to mitigate some of those uh, the the spread of COVID nineteen in your community. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you did uh, to to help uh, mitigate those uh, that spreading?
2: Sure. Well, you know, first and uh, foremost, uh, David, I have to acknowledge, um, really, it's the, you know, our team of the Emergency Control Group, um, and many, many uh, committed community members and expertise behind that team, along with, um, you know, our representation from uh, both the elected council and uh, the Confederacy Council that sit on that that Mm. control team that uh, has been uh, the main driver in ultimate decisions um, that have been made, uh, you know, here in Six Nations. But, particularly the, the extreme measure in, in which you're well aware of um, and I'm pretty sure, um, you know, quite a few of other first nations across the country have taken these same steps of uh, restriction, uh, restricting access uh, to our territory at this time. Um, you know, we, we, we've done that. We've, I believe now are in week seven um, of that re- restriction of access and what that's looked like. And you know what, David, it's really been, um, you know, the, the, to me it's, it's like, there's never really a, a manual, um, to, you know, deal with a pandemic, right? So there's, mm. you know, as this, you know, there's so many unknowns and that's, I think, the most challenging piece without, uh, throughout this whole uh, COVID-19 uh, time. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I really believe that the steps that we've taken have, have really um, increasingly helped um, our overall protection of the goal of protecting our community. Um, you know, it was in the beginning stages of, you know, project protect our elders, as we know, you know, Mm -hmm. our knowledge keepers and, um, you know, we need to protect that knowledge and we need to be able to pass that on to, you know, the generations to come. So, you know, that to me was an important piece as well to this as to the extreme measures of that. Um, that we took, but I think evolving into what it is today of you know protect all of our people because as you see you know the ever evolving um, I guess more or less of the um, condition of COVID nineteen uh, expands and we get to know more um, about it you know that's how we have to continue to adapt to those changes and so you know it's been definitely a challenging time here in Six Nations um, we you know we're doing our best to maintain our numbers I'm grateful. Uh, That, you know, we currently have zero active cases, uh, you know, always continuously sending my sincere condolences to the one death that we had Mm. in our community uh, related to COVID-19. And so, you know, I I really feel like at this point in time, we just have to maintain what we've been doing. Uh, We've come up with a new vehicle identification system, uh, which is uh, basically um, replacing the old system that we had of, you know, three different categories of a paper system, obviously. We knew that, you know, that at some point in time that, you know, compromising was going to happen and things like that. Um, so we had to get a little stricter and we, you know, we listened to the concerns and suggestions from our community um, and we came up with a new system. Um, and, we, you know, we've just implemented that again, you know, at times not the best in terms of, you know, uh, chaos in the beginning. But throughout where we've grown is, you know, being able to balance and, and get to hopefully every person that, you know, in that transition period. Um, in terms of our membership. So, you know, we, we've been doing our best here at Six Nations, um, and we're just going to continue to maintain what we, have to, uh, what we have to do to protect our people.
0: Uh, mark when you say um uh implemented uh, you know we're talking about implementing certain things and you've you've uh you had some issues uh, i understand that that well one you you put some uh some uh, barriers up uh, people have to pass through those barriers so you've limited the amount of uh of people that can come in uh and into the community um the other thing that I know you you uh you have done is that you you initially set up some kind of uh and this is my, what you might have been talking about, uh, some kind of a, a pass system. But I heard something about these things being scanned and sold or something. What was, it? was that? Was that accurate? Uh, no,
2: well, no. So what, what? What part of the part of the new system uh, is yes? It's a pass, and this allows us to at least have some sort of tracking. in, in terms, again, um, you know, we wanted to kind of step it up so that there was again limited contact with people in the case mm. that they were, because there there is a barcode again. But the barcode is there's no personal information attached to it at all. It just basically, when scanned by any phone um, who's at, like, say, for example, a security Mm. person at a checkpoint, um, then they would uh, then scan that and it would come up with Six Nations resident or things like that. There's two different categories. Obviously, we know that there are essential services and people who come to our community that are deemed essential um, and work for our community, you know, so, you know, we've tried to mitigate the the, the, the confusion and frustration in, in terms of that piece. You know, obviously we know that there's essential deliveries to our territory for our members and all things like that. The last thing, you know, and, and there, you know, we've tried to, you know, put in things in place. So it's clear to all the checkpoints that this is the process, the current process that's in place as of right now. Um, and again, you know, the last thing we want is to, um, you know, it, it to hinder our relationships with our neighboring communities. You know, I think that's an another piece that you know, this is, uh, you know, for myself, it's 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 something that we've had to take in terms of you know what's happening across the globe and what we're seeing, mm-hmm. in the, across this country. And I think you know it's important that you know it's up to each uh, community and leadership to determine what that best plan looks like with the consultation of our people. And I think you know, so with this new system in place. Um, you know, again, I think it's just to help mitigate the traffic that is coming here, um, and it also too to help slow the spread to COVID. We obviously know our next challenge and plans have already been, in, uh, you know, in the tra- I guess works more or less um, in terms of what the economy looks like after this, right? And mm. how we have to get back to to that piece as well. So there's there's a number of challenges up a, up up ahead of us, but
0: yeah,
2: we'll be continue to work through them.
0: Now, Mark, you mentioned a couple of things uh, earlier that I thought were, were quite interesting. You mentioned that this uh, uh, you you have this uh, panel of people that are working together, partly from the elected council and also from the Confederacy. Uh, it's 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 nice to see that happening, of course. Um, do you think that that uh, you know one of the things that COVID nineteen has shown us on a on a larger scale is that we are all in this together? Doesn't matter who we are, um, and, and of course that has brought us altogether in some ways. Do you think that has helped in terms of the you know some of the strains that were there prior uh, with the elected council and the Confederacy council? Do you think this has helped to ease some of that to some degree?
2: Well, you know, I I, I want to be like clear on that point that you know it's not in a sense because I don't want to um, I don't want to misrepresent or mis you know speak on sure. behalf of you know uh, um, them or anything you know. But this was uh, there's. How it's set up is, you know, we have each of our directors are both, you know, all of our health, obviously health director, public health, um, and as well as our responders, our police, fire, ambulance, you know, so those are all comprised of that team of the emergency control group. And, you know, what we are is uh, basically, you know, like reps of, right? So there is a rep sitting from the head of Nishoni Confederacy Council supporting the emergency control group as best as they can and bringing, taking back um, information back and forth. Um, And then there's also the political rep, which is myself at that table um, and my alternate as well, um, who sit in when I can't be there, obviously. But, you know, I think that this has definitely come to a point of where we can start to say that, you know, it's the people at this point in time that we have to protect no matter of any political differences. You know, I think it's just a a point in time that we just have to take a break on that, set the differences aside and just look at what's at hand and what we're faced with.
0: Mm. Now, you also mentioned that you that the community now has no active cases which is wonderful to hear i know i think you had about 11 uh at at the height of things and that's and and now that you've got that down to zero that's that's good news that's great to hear it's definitely great news and you know that but the other piece
2: that we want to you know even though yes we are you know we're we we have zero active cases um you know we're we're, we're approaching warmer weather mm. all of these things we still need to make sure that our messaging is you know in full force um and that you know these these you know stay at home protocols and things like that which leads me into my next uh, area of discussion is you know the topic around bread and cheese mm-hmm.
1: anyway,
2: it was um you know i there was definitely some good conversation and dialogue within council and you know it went back and forth as to whether we should even continue with it or not um but you know i think part of the in it was you know part of i think the 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 deciding factor was that, you know, at times, you know, bread and cheese, not based upon what the meeting and how we, you know, how that came about in in relation uh, with the crown. Um, But I think it's more evolved into a community to a time where our community comes together, Mm -hmm. right? We've always known bread and cheese to, you know, see familiar faces, visit with family and friends and things like that. And, you know, I think that piece for us really hit home, where, you know, we said, well, why can't we still consider bread and cheese, but we'll put in a new way of how we're going to do bread and cheese this year. You know, so that's where we, we've come up and developed a plan. Um, we're, you know, obviously mitigating as every health and safety risk as possible. Um, and, you know, we're going to actually be delivering, um, yeah. chief and council is going to be uh, delivering bread and cheese to each of their homes on that territory. Um, and again, <laughs> you know, I think that decision was based upon at this point in time, just having a, a little little break of COVID nineteen talk,
0: mm-hmm. um, and having that time replaced with some community togetherness. Now that's quite an ordeal you you know you decide to take on by delivering it to, to all the <laughs> homes in the community. When I heard that, I went no, that's that's great um, because I knew it was like you said it was off again on again kind of thing. Uh, now. The other part of if people by the way, for people that don't know what breaded cheese is uh, it is a uh, a big event that takes place on uh, the Queen Victoria weekend and it does have uh, a relationship or or a uh, a connection back to queen victoria and uh, we won't go into all the details of that, but it did evolve over time. The community did essentially uh start to cr- to turn it into an event for uh, themselves, and uh, every every uh, uh, every year on Queen Victoria's uh, the the long weekend, uh, the community comes out, and I'd say even people beyond the community uh, come out to the arena, and uh, everybody lines up and goes through the arena and gets a a big hunk of cheese and a big piece of bread, and that's why it's called Bread and Cheese Day.
1: And yes, <laughs> perfect
0: and and there are what tens of thousands of people that show up to that event. Yes. It's a huge event as, as and Mark along with that I was thinking as you were you were talking there that the other the other side of this is looking into the future a little bit more and I'm sure you're probably talking about this as well as the fall fair. That's another large event uh and a very well-known uh event in the community that that happens in the fall as well.
2: You know, I was fortunate enough to be the former president of the Six Nations Agriculture Society, Mm. which in return uh, put on the fall fair. And, you know, I have during my tenure and that time, you know, I've seen and I got to see a lot with the fall fair and, you know, the dire need that that was in um, in you know, of revitalization and. You know, to see a project through, I think, is the most uh, rewarding piece of things. And, yeah, the Fall Fair is definitely one of those additions of uh, community event treasures.
0: And now, going back to, to bread and cheese, just for the logistics of it happening this weekend, um, <laughs> are you going to have, uh, like, several, uh, several units that go out to the home? Is there going to be one big unit? How's that all going to happen? I, I,
2: I Trust me, logistically, yes, <laughs> if, if there was some work behind it. Um, but we, again, you know, following as, as best as we can with the public health guidelines and things that we've done, obviously, you know, the people delivering uh, the, the where our bread and cheese is coming from is all coming cut, pre-cut, pre-packaged,
0: oh, nice. yeah.
2: So mitigating that there's less hands being touched on the actual right. product itself. Um, looking to all of our volunteers there's we're trying to mitigate even that I know a lot of people even want to volunteer with our community Mm. but you know we still need to um, look to the social distancing and all those things so we do have um, at least three to four routes um, of refrigerated fridges (laughs) and you know our chief and council and community treasurers and volunteers are all going to be equipped with obviously you know masks Mm. and gloves um in constant you know hand sanitizing and things like that um and so that is uh you know our plans are forthcoming tomorrow to our community on the full logistical
0: details right yeah um now the other thing that would happen with this event of course is there there was normally a parade that takes place
2: well you know and that's what we're i think the thought behind that was is you know, at this time, we've really seen a lot, you know, during this period of, you know, this, this COVID-19, it's, it's really, uh, even for myself, personally, an opportunity to just Mm -hmm. self-reflect, and really uh, prioritize what is, uh, you know, the true, um, I guess, meaning and why we're here in our journeys. And I think, you know, um, it's important to to continue these these events um, and to at least have the spirit of togetherness, especially during this difficult time, and I think by our plans and what we've what we've come up with is it gives us a little sense of that how things used to be, uh, you know, the old fashioned ways of going back, you know, to our community and parades and and seeing our members and you know just being able to
0: have um, that again that togetherness. Mm. Um... You know, going back to something else you mentioned about the the cases and getting the cases down and protecting the elders, uh, I, you know, I guess the other side of that, with not only Six Nations but with any First Nation or Indigenous community, where there is limited uh, knowledge keepers, limited people that that speak the language fluently, uh, which in norm, normally these are the the elders in the community, um, that that would be an extra burden that that non-Indigenous communities might not uh, appreciate or understand that, that, that there is that concern.
2: 100%. And, you know, even in addition to our other high-risk um, people that we have, you know, mm. like we, diabetes is yep. high across yep. Indigenous people in this country. Yep. Yep. And we have, a lo- we have a lot of people on dialysis. We have mm. a lot of, you know, people with pre-existing health conditions. Mm. Um, you know, based alone on, on just our background and, you know, our ancestry, we are considered a vulnerable population within right. uh, what's happening and what they're seeing within COVID. So, you know, I think it's even, you know, again, that's not my expertise, right? I am not in the health field. Um, and so I really look to those expertise because again, you know, it's a, it's important that we again, understand each other and from each backgrounds um, and that we can make the the best possible decision.
0: Uh, how, how happy are you with the way that the government has been handling its Uh, approach to uh first nations and and the pandemic
2: um you know i again it's the to me there's no real manual right we've all had Mm. to really be in a reactive mode Um, you know we've done our best to as soon as we've seen you know the world health organizations um you know videos and updates you know we've started to engage as early as we could in terms of our planning Mm. um but i think you know at this point in time that you know we we I, I appreciate that, you know, they've been able to put get things out quickly um, and expedite processes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, you know, I, I, I also like how, you know, for example, you know, some of our departments have carried surplus dollars that ultimately if COVID-19 weren't, um, wasn't happening, that, you know, those surpluses would be deemed to be going back to the government mm-hmm. um, based upon the unspent right. um, and those reasons associated. Um, but I think, you know, I, that was also, you know, it just I guess loosening up some of the some of the I guess rules and regulations around funding um, is also something that I've seen happening very quickly. Um, and again, just the constant, um, you know, um, communication. I think, you know, that was I've been having good conversations with both the provincial and federal governments at this point in time. Um, you know, I I I can realize and understand the pressure that all of us are under. Um, so you know, that's something to take into consideration as well. But I think overall. At this point in time you know we still have to look to how we're going to further you know it's it's great first steps um but there are still many many needs across you know first nations in this Mm -hmm. country um we were already you know dealing with um pre-existing issues in regards to you know water boil advisories and so forth luckily six nations isn't under that category Mm -hmm. however we still have you know pre-existing water issues here that are, are again leading into the overall health and safety so you know some of these territories across this country have been in pandemics prior to COVID mm. um, with just alone their water issues. So I think, okay. you know, um, it's a good start, but always can be better, right? Always can continue to work um, and have that openness and transparency and communication in that, you know, leadership is actually being heard across this country. I think that's the other piece, you know, what does, uh, what is the true meaning of, of reconciliation? Uh, you know, I often don't even like hearing that term um, because, you know, it's just so over repeated that, I don't even know what that meaning is anymore, mm. and what that looks like. Yeah, um, and so you know, I think you need know, we need to continue to build this relationship with Indigenous people across the country. And I think at this point in time, uh, you know, taking into consideration the pressure that everyone's been under, I mean, it's a good start.
0: And so, as you you look to the future, I mean, uh, you know, as of as of. Uh, uh, after the long weekend, uh, Ontario is going to start sort of relaxing things a little bit and have businesses o- open up a little bit more. What are you looking at in terms of the future for your own, you know, for Six Nations in terms of, um, you know, getting back into some normalcy?
2: You know, and that's that's just it is what does that normalcy look like? Um, and that's where we need to be very strategic and methodical. You know, our plans and our team have been working diligently around the clock. Um, to try to see and look at what that obviously we're going to go in with a phased and approach as well. Um, You know, the borders per se aren't just going to come down just so easily like that. So, Mm. you know, that, you know, the last thing we want to see is an influx of traffic into this community. And again, with that ultimate higher exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to be very strategic. We need to be smart and very methodical as to what those um, those phases and each attached timeline looks like. Um, I think that's where you know we're really the we're again working with as as many businesses as we can at this point. You know we're trying to look to because what we have to do is you know implement strong measures of health and safety and what that looks like. You know, um, business we know is very important and it's crucial to our economy. Especially, you know, that's the, the last thing we wanted is visitors to to take this personally, um, as we restricted access, but, you know, the, we realize and appreciate and understand, um, you know, just as much as what, um, our visitors pay to our economy and drive. And so, you know, we really, really need to be strategic about it. And that's exactly the approach we're taking is to try to work with businesses to implement strong health and safety measures. Um, you know, we see it across what's happening. You know, we look at even, Part of my question is, you know, essential services would have been deemed essential services. They've still been in business all this time. Mm-hmm. They've implemented, you know, you go and you see long lineups at Costco's and Walmart and mm-hmm. all these things. Essential getting groceries, um, and you see, you know, the social distancing. You see mm-hmm. the plexiglass glasses implemented. You see, mm-hmm. you know, no cash sales, debit only. Um, you see masks. You, you know, so again. I think that's where we need to take that into consideration as well, into how we actually are gonna be doing business healthy in a healthy manner of the current COVID nineteen response.
0: You know, Mark, uh, to say that your, your first term in office has been uh, unusual would be a bit of an understatement um, for sure. Uh, but what about just, uh, just you know, getting uh, normal operations, if, if you can call it that, at this point in time for, for council? Uh, you have to keep that sort of uh, that side of it going as well. So how has that been for you?
2: Well, you know, I think and that's where I'm really glad for our, our administrative team. Um, You know, we have a great team that has, again, you know, we've had to shift over with obviously like everyone else with technology um, and, you know, move to zoom meetings and, Mm. you know, but we, we've, we've um, adjusted, obviously. um, Okay. There was challenges in the beginning for sure uh, with technology and obviously, you know, our internet connectivity and Mm. um, signal and things like that, all issues again, that we're working uh, um, into the bigger picture and what that looks like. Um, But, you know, Uh, I really want council to continue business as much as we can. Um, And so, you know, we are still meeting each of our three large committees, which deals with the majority of uh, resolutions coming from each sector of our department, Um, leading into our general council meetings, which are open to um, not necessarily the public at this time, but open to media. And we do still continue with those open sessions and seeing what is being discussed and what is being passed and et cetera. And so, you know, we also continue with our general finance. I think it's important that, you know, as we are still have to realize that we are an organization, um, and that, you know, we need to protect. Even, you know, it's unfortunate, but we've had to do layoffs ourselves. Mm. You know, the last thing we want to see is our our, you know our employees, yet alone our in in addition to our community members, suffer during this time. But you know, we have to be we have to look at uh, our strategy and what we've developed. We have to look at our economic. recovery plan. Mm. Um, and, you know, we have to maintain business as best as we can. And I feel like at this point in time, again, you know, we've had our internal struggle, struggles and challenges, uh, but we're working and learning each day. And I think that's the only thing at this point that any leadership can ask for.
0: Uh, we're just going to finish up, Mark. I'm just wondering, how do you think the community has responded uh, overall to the situation, uh, you know, in terms of the lockdown, in terms of just, uh, you know, uh, just dealing with this on the whole? You know, I think in
2: return, what I, what I see is, and you know, I've done my best to, I'm actually trying to stay off of social media. Mm. Um, It's kind of a new kind of rule for me for this time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as, as much as what I do see um, is that, you know, the community is, is overall, um, you know, responsive and uh, respectful of the decisions that we've and measures that we've put in place to protect them. In return mm-hmm. um, and so you know in our we have to just continue what we're doing and I think you know overall there's going to be challenges ahead and there's going to be disagreements um, but as long as we continue with you know a respectful dialogue and that good mind that we're always taught with then you know we should be able to overcome um, and see through this like all the other issues that our people see.
0: Mm, great uh, anything else we haven't touched on just before we leave that you think is important to mention
2: you know, I think we've, we've, we've basically covered a lot. and Yeah, I just thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's our pleasure, Now for joining us. And, and it's great to hear your voice. And uh, I hope, uh, hope all is well with you and your family and and, uh, and that we all come through this uh, healthy and come out of this bigger and better. You know, uh, I think that there's a lot of lessons that we are learning from this.
2: 100% agree. And many Nyawer to you as well. And just stay healthy and
0: stay safe, stay home. Yeah, right, for sure. Okay. Thank you, David. All right, take care. That is Mark Hill. He's the uh, newly elected uh, chief of Six Nations of the Grand River Territory, joining us, uh, as you heard him, uh, from the community and uh, telling us about uh, some of the things going on there. You know, bread and cheese is such a big event. If you don't know about it, I'm sure you can find something about it online. It's quite an event and a special event that they're doing differently this year as they're delivering bread and cheese to all. The homes in the community. I also want to say Nyawa, Migwech, Wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa, Migwech, and thanks for listening.